Well, howdy, it's Elaine from Pacific Tales. Today we have a guest from Minersville, Utah. If you listen real close, you'll find out what Minersville has to do with Tonga because this young man ended up serving a mission in Tonga. Welcome to another episode with Pacific Tales. Our guest tonight will be uh, Brother Stephen Ibaki, or Stephen Albrick, from uh, Minesville, Utah. And so I will turn the time over to uh, Ibaki to introduce himself and his family and what he does now and so forth. And then I'll come back and talk to you. Thank you. All time is yours, Addy Bucky. Well, thank you, President. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here today. It's a, it's an honor for me to uh, to get back with you and have one of our old interviews like we used to have, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, I served in the, in the Nuclear Mission from 89 to 91. I came home in June of 1991, so that's been, uh, been a lot of years ago. But uh, I, I don't remember everything, but I do remember a lot of things. And uh, um, when I came home off my mission, I I found uh, a wonderful young lady, Chris. Roper was her name, and uh, we got married in 1993 in the, uh, in the Manti Temple, where her grandparents were working at that time and since then we've been blessed with uh five beautiful children um our oldest one justin is a boy then we have three girls cassie taylor and uh carson and then our youngest one is a boy and his name's weston my oldest one is what he's about he's 25 now and my youngest one is 15 and three of them are married now so we're we're adding to our family a little bit at a time but i uh we currently live in delta utah which is a little bit north of minersville and uh i'm a pharmacist here i'm a drug dealer <laughs> and uh we we also uh we also have a about 125 acre farm that we uh, grow alfalfa and, and uh, agricultural products on so it's been great here we've loved living here in this small town and, and raising our family and it's uh it's been a blessing for us to uh to have been here so all right of all the things you do you're hunting you're going out to all kinds of stuff uh what do you think is the thing that makes you the, the most happy well uh Probably without a doubt, the thing that brings me the most joy inside and happiness is uh, is spending time with my family and, and, and with my kids. Um, we're able to do a lot of things together in the outdoors. I do love the outdoors. We go to the mountains as much as possible. 
and uh, someone once said you can uh, you can see life pretty clearly through the smoke of a campfire and uh, and I believe that so we like to get in the mountains as much as possible and but being with my family is by far the, the thing that brings me the most joy and and just seeing my kids uh, progress and seeing them stay close to their Heavenly Father and to to put to work the lessons that we as parents hope that we taught them, you know, and see them incorporate those lessons in their lives. And obviously we're not without our challenges like everybody else, but it's, it's great to, to see them progress and to, to see them want to come back home and to spend time with mom and dad again after they've been away. That brings, that brings us a lot of happiness. So that's probably one of the, the best things that I do and probably what makes, makes me the happiest. I don't know what I'd do without my family and kids. So. Now uh, I see that you got it done right. You have a boy to start with, you end with a boy. Well, at least for the time being, you got you got two bookends with boys. Yep. Uh, that's how they came. We didn't ask for it that way, but that's how they came. I think it's how they choose. They choose to come to you the time they come. Uh, yeah. So yes, uh, uh, I'm interested, and I think that maybe the uh, listeners would like to know a little bit more of. How did you court your wife? What was the, uh, in your, according to you, I'm not asking according yeah. to her, according to you, what's your, what's your uh, story? Well, so I, when I came back home, I went to school down at Southern Utah University in Cedar City, and that is where she happened to be going to school as well. So um, I have an uncle that lives here in Delta, and uh, he kind of knew about my wife a little bit and, and uh, he's the one that kind of told me about her a little bit. And so I pursued that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I went over to her apartment and she always thought that everybody was there to see her roommates, which I, maybe a lot of them were, but I wasn't. I was always there to, uh, to see her. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we, uh, we dated for uh, actually for about a year and a half. And uh, I feel like uh, choosing the right companion is one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in life. And so we, we courted for about a, a year and a half, and I, I took her to the mountains, and I took her on uh, motorcycle rides, and I took her hunting with me to make sure she liked those things, yeah. and fishing, and uh, she liked the outdoors as well. So I knew it was probably going to be a good match. So. Um, and then I applied for pharmacy school and got in at Idaho State University up in Pocatello, Idaho. And uh, she hadn't uh, she hadn't applied yet or hadn't decided what she was going to do for sure with school. But as I went up to school, as I got ready to go to school, I knew I didn't want to go alone. And and I prayed about it. I I definitely knew that uh, she was the right one for me. And so. We got engaged and uh, I left for school and she stayed in Delta and worked until November 20th. And that's when we got, got married. And uh, one interesting thing about that, that day, um, her, her grand, or great grandma was here in Delta in a local care center. 
and my grandmother and well both of her grandparents worked at the Mantai Temple so they were really excited to uh to be able to take care of our wedding there and it was also my grandma's birthday on November 20th so it was kind of a significant day but we had to get up early to be in Mantai and when I went to her house really early in the morning I got there and knocked on the door and she came to the door just sobbing I could tell she was just she had been crying for a long time and I thought she was going to call off the wedding <laughs> I thought she had changed her mind <laughs> and had some inspiration in the night and she didn't want to marry me <laughs> but she notified me and told me that that wasn't the case her great grandma had actually passed away in the care center that night and so uh she was sad about that but uh as we went to the temple she uh she felt like her grandmother passed away cuz she wanted to be there at the wedding and uh we feel like she was able to be there with us that day uh one of the most special days in our lives so it was a it was a great day and we've been married uh since 1993 now so and uh things are going great oh 993 It's gonna be what thirty years next year. It's coming up next year. <laughs> next year, thirty yeah. years, right? So I'm you, glad she's tolerated me for that long. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also know that uh, you share a little bit about. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about it too much, but uh, not very many people are called bishop at the, the, the young age you were. So share with us your experience as a bishop. Well, I I was to my surprise called to serve in that capacity in uh in uh well, I've been out since 2020 and 2015 I was called to serve as the bishop here in our ward and you know, I I obviously felt extremely inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as most people do when they're called to serve in those positions, but What a wonderful opportunity it was for me to uh to learn more about how our savior's church works and especially to uh learn about how how he sees people. Mm. You know, to look at people through our savior's eyes instead of through our own eyes. Mm. And uh when you do that it gives you a whole different perspective on people. Uh, and uh My, my favorite thing though was to work with the youth. You know, we had a we had a wonderful time. We were able to go on trek up in Wyoming. Um, we were I was put in the year that the Pace uh, in Utah Temple was dedicated. So we got to participate. Our youth did in the dedication, which was a wonderful experience. And uh, we got to uh, do a lot of temple trips for baptisms and just spending time with our youth. You know, they're They're so much better than I was at their age, and uh, we're, we're we're in good hands, I think, with the with the youth we have coming up. You know, they're uh, definitely a chosen generation, and they're gonna they're gonna see a lot of hard times, but they're gonna do great things. So, but it was a very rewarding experience for me, and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity I had to serve in that capacity. So. Thank you very much, Ibrahim. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a joy to always share with you. Uh, as we move on with this podcast, this podcast is called 
the Pacific chaos. So we need to get yeah. some of your experience in the Pacific. The news here would ask, what countries have you have you been to in the Pacific? Uh, well, uh, really, the only ones I've been to are the ones that my mission and my calling took me to. So we flew to Hawaii. Um, interestingly enough, there was a the uh, plane was delayed from San Diego to Hawaii, and when we got to Hawaii. The plane going to Tonga had already left, so we were stuck in Hawaii for three days. Me and Elder Borden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We called you, I believe, and you yeah. said, "Well, get with the missionaries there and go see the island. And <laughs> just make sure you obey the mission rules." So that's what we. <laughs> so we spent three days in Hawaii, and then uh, we, of course, had a layover in uh, Samoa, just a uh, really short time, and then we. Uh, we went to uh, Tonga, and I was uh, I was very happy when we landed there. So you know, I I, I feel like I should share this, President. So yeah. when, when I got my call, and I know I've shared this with you, I you, you know Tonga was the last place I thought I would go because all of my all of my siblings or not my siblings but my cousins. My uncles, my grandparents, when they went on their missions, they either went to the East Coast, so the New York area, or they went to the reservation. They went to work with the Native Americans. So I thought for sure I would go to one of those places. And so when I saw Tonga on my call, the Tonga Nukolofa mission, I the first thing that came to my mind was what group of Indians is this? <laughs> what reservation is this? <laughs> but I I quickly remembered a conversation I had had with my grandpa's brother. So my grand my grandfather's brother's name was Keith Albrecht or Keith Alipak, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And he went to uh, he went on a service mission to Tonga. Yeah, he was. And this was probably before I was even born. And uh, he was a teacher at Liahona. Yeah. At the high school there. And he went there and started the the Future Farmers of America or the agricultural program. And and so I, I soon realized what Bonga was and I, I remembered him telling me that story. And then it was interesting and correct me if you're wrong, but, but you were one of his students, yeah. I believe. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I was. I was one of the one wanted to be a future farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he took you on a trip to Fiji. Yeah, yeah like there's a dude. group that went to Fiji. I didn't go on the trip, but uh, were, some of our classmates went up to Fiji, okay. and it was really good. I, I guess yeah. one of the guys I just interviewed a while back was Cecilia Taukiuvea. He was the president of the uh, future farmers of Tonga. Uh, uh, so he went with them on the trip. Uh, so he talked about that in the podcast we did mention a while back. But, I'll have to listen to that. But So I, I kind of felt like I had a little bit of a connection to yeah. Tonga when I got there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had already had a close family member that had served there and stuff. But, but uh, I was able to serve uh, on all three of the groups of islands in... in uh, Montongatapu um, and Hapai and Babatu, all three of those groups of islands, and it was just beautiful, beautiful to me to be able to be there. So, 
Very good. Great experience. Good, good, good. Now, uh, I didn't realize that uh, you were Keith. Keith, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't remember it. Because uh, you probably didn't tell us when we were, you were in Toma. I don't know if I ever did. Yeah, I, I don't think you <laughs> ever did. I, I would have remembered. But yeah, that uh, was my grandpa's brother. That's your grandpa's brother, huh? So it was good. It was good. Uh, now, we would like to... Uh, there are some questions in this podcast that deals with childhood growing up in Tonga, but, but you didn't grow up there, so that's not a, a question we need to to address at this time. But I'd like you to tell me, it could be it could be a little prejudice in a way, but um, you spend most of your time in the Pacific in Tonga. So tell me, what is your favorite place in Tonga? Favorite place? Favorite place in Tonga. You know, probably, if I could go back to one place, it would probably be Lofonga. Uh, uh, the island of Lofonga. I, I, spent, uh, I spent a considerable amount of time there on that little island. And uh, we got to know the people and their dogs and their pigs and, <laughs> and everything about that little island because it was so small and there were so few people there. But it was also a place where I think I grew a tremendous amount, and you know, spiritually, and uh, we had to rely on our Heavenly Father for almost everything. And you know, it it uh, it was a place that I would would love to go back to and and see. And there was there was only a, a handful of members there, yeah, you know. Time, yeah. But uh, but they were great. They were absolutely tremendous, you know, and. And uh, I, I just loved the people there, and they were so good to me. You know, they were so good to me. And, and it was amazing to me how everybody just helped each other out there. And uh, it was a place where um, I learned that uh, I learned to appreciate the little things. And because uh, there wasn't electricity there, and so just to have a, a, a cold drink of water or little things like that I, I learned to appreciate, you know? Did you? Um, and uh, I love my time there, so. Did you drink mostly coconut? While you were Lots in of coconut fire? there. Yep. Uh, Lots of coconut there. Some water that we would get when it would rain, you know, we would have, we would have uh, that and and uh, sometimes we had lots of food there and sometimes we had nothing. <laughs> you know, Congo was a place where you could Feast of famine, huh? Yeah, feast of famine, and 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 there, there were times when I, I seriously knew what hunger was, you know, yeah. and 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 it uh, it made a difference on how I looked at things and stuff. Yeah. So a little interesting fact, though, while I was on Lofanga, I had a birthday while I was there, and uh, and I actually received a package from the zone leaders that came on my birthday, that there was a birthday package that they brought me that had come from my home. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that package had to go from Minersville, get on an airplane, go clear to Tongatapu probably, get on a boat and go to Hot Pie and then 
somehow get on another boat for Lofonga, and it got there on my birthday. <laughs> well, great timing, great timing. I thought that was a small miracle. <laughs> but in there, I remember one one night we were really hungry, me and my companion, and and there were some little uh, Kool-Aid packages in there. <laughs> so we poured the Kool-Aid in the water and the coconut milk and just drank it till we were full. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. Okay, I think perhaps uh, could you could you think about the major challenges you might have faced while you were in this little island? Uh, you know, probably one challenges I had more when I first got there was the language, mm. because you know we went to the MTC and I had we had great MTC teachers in in Barobo. Bishate Kapusi and Kapilani uh, yeah, yeah, uh. They they were our our teachers, you know, me and Elder Elder Borden, and and they did a great job. And you know, you feel like when you leave, you have a little bit of the language, but as soon as you step off the plane, <laughs> it was like I was in another country. <laughs> and uh, that that was hard for me. And I I remember I remember taking a little notebook. And every time I would hear a word I didn't know, I would write it down. And then I would go home that night and study it. And uh, by doing that consistently, um, it helped me learn the vocabulary and helped it helped me learn the language. And the other thing I did was I would talk to the little kids because they would speak slow and they would speak simple, and I could understand them. And they they uh, always wanted to talk to the Palangi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and see if he could speak song and so um but through working with them and then i prayed a lot that i would be able to pick up the language and and it seemed like after about six months i started to get comfortable with it a little bit and and of course after that it grew and grew and got better and better but really that was probably one of the hardest challenges i had was just grasping that language and patience to do that you know yeah. I, so, I remember a story uh, of when you were, you asked me in, in a mission, is when can I wear a tupen? A tupen, to dress up in a Tongan missionary style. And I said, when you can give the discussion in Tongan, then you can wear it. <laughs> and so I think you, it wasn't far from that time when you were fluent in giving your, your, your discussion in Tongan. I said, go ahead, go ahead, get yourself a Tupin with a Taobala. Yes, that, that was uh, that was definitely uh, in, uh, an inspiration for me to learn the language faster. <laughs> yeah. I saw Tupin. a Tupin, right? Yes. yes. Okay, <laughs> now. We we like the, the listeners to also learn of. Uh, do you have anybody in the Pacific, or maybe in your lifetime, just in general, who has you think has been a good mentor or influenced you uh, for oh. good, uh, either as a missionary or you or in your life, like you your yeah. career? Uh, anybody? Sure. Yes. Well. There's multiple people I could list um, as I was growing up, but since this is the Pacific Tales, I'll, I'll mention a few people who who uh, 
were definitely very influential uh, to me from Tonga. Um, and there's several, you know, all my companions were so good to me. Um, you and Sister Konga Aika, <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate you so much, and 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 really the work you're continuing to do is tremendous, you know. And and uh, Grandma Luisa Conaica, yes, fabulous lady. I, I loved her so much. Um, she was she was just always so kind, and and it was like having a grandma away from home. <laughs> <laughs> whenever, whenever we saw her, she was so great to the missionaries, you know, and and so great to me. And I I appreciated her her love and her attitude so much. And uh, she was a, a tremendous lady. And uh, there, there's one gentleman though I I met in Kohokuba. You know when I was. You know my mother was pious, huh? She loves you. Yeah. You know my mother was pious. She loves you more than she loved me. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was a good lady. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated her so much. So, but uh, I had the opportunity to work in in Komotua. Komotua. in Komotua, um, there was kind of a little bit of a poorer part of town, and uh, we went out there to visit with some of the members that were there, and, and uh, we we met a, a man named Shione and his little family, and I, I remember when we went to his, uh, his place, um, Shione lived in a very humble little, little hut, uh, just made out of tin, and and uh you couldn't hardly even sleep in there and uh i remember we went there to have a family home evening with him and and Johnny only had one leg one of his legs was was missing from the knee down and uh when we went there he uh he told us the story of, of how he lost his legs and he he worked it as a carpenter and and while they were building a house he got a little sliver in his knee and uh Anyway, he, he went and got treatment and they thought they got it all out and then it healed over. And then one day his knee just uh, got really swollen and red. And uh, so he went back to the doctor. Well, they, they found that he still had a piece of a sliver in his knee and because of the infection and uh, how rapid it had spread, they ended up having to amputate his knee from the his leg from the knee down and so Shione because of that lost his job and uh, he still had his little family to take care of and uh, he would go down to the wharf um, when the fishing boats would come in and he would sell little plastic bags and things to him to, uh, to put their fish in and that's how he uh, he helped his family get by and make a living but uh, you know I, I just remember the spirit that was in um, his humble little home, and uh, I learned that uh, <clears throat> a great lesson there that uh, you know Shona was always happy, and his family was always happy. And I learned that uh, happiness comes from uh, 
come inside you and uh, and what you know not so much um, about what you have and uh, anyway we were able to go to Shone and go with him to church quite a bit and sit by him spend a lot of time with him and he taught me he taught me that valuable lesson about I tried to I've tried to remember that as I've gone throughout life, that uh, that uh, happiness comes from within you. And uh, it doesn't matter what's going on around you or your worldly possessions. It matters um, mostly about your relationship with your family and with your Heavenly Father. And, and I'll be uh, ever grateful to Shione for, uh, for teaching me that lesson and, and uh, having the great attitude he did. and. Uh, going forth and doing the good things that he did, did despite despite his hardship and, and he's somebody I'll, I'll always remember um from my time in Tonga so thanks very much uh I brought you uh we we're gonna move on to the food section in the Pacific oh yeah yeah what's your favorite what was your favorite food oy oy <laughs> <laughs> and with Shao Pito, I, I, uh, I, I died. And, uh, I may have died, yeah? <laughs> I, I, I love the uh, Lupu, Lucipi, um, Luica, all those. So good. So good. Anything with taro leaves, huh? Taro leaves, yeah, and the coconut milk and the onions and, and uh, whatever kind of meat you had to put in there. And you know we got to eat that, got the feum one Sunday quite a bit, and that was always one of my favorite things was the the um, the italu pulu and that. But I, I really loved everything, uh, even uh, uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, just the flour and water and coconut milk. Yeah, yeah, topai. I like that and the and the otai, you know, with all the uh, the fruits and uh, everything mixed together. Um, but all the food, I really love the food down there, and uh, and I miss it. I miss it. I love to. I would love to go back and have some of that. So. <laughs> Probably one of the most interesting things I ever ate though was in Makeke. Yeah. When I was I was my first day was Betongo. And uh my companion and I we also covered Makeke and we would we would go down there to see the branch president occasionally and we went down there one day and, and he was there, it was about lunchtime. We uh, we'd always conveniently show up about lunchtime, you know. <laughs> and uh he had a pot there with something in it and uh and, and he pulled it out, and I, I looked at my companion, and I said, you know? I didn't know what it was, and and it was a, it was a, a becca. Isn't that the common name for bat? Yeah, a becca. Oh. <laughs> he, he had got a flying fox or a bat and was cooking it up in the pot, so <laughs> we we got to eat one of those, but it was actually really good. Not something I expected to ever eat down there. So. <laughs> yeah, those are fruit bats, right? The, the fruit yeah, bats. those fruit bats. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
we we're known there as the pumpkin rollers. I I how do you translate that? Cow cow cacaína We're known as the pumpkin rollers, and uh, um. So I learned in Pona, the longer I was there, whenever you were eating, um, somebody would always get up and and uh, tell a funny story while you were eating, and uh, and tell a little history about places or have something to say. And so <clears throat> one day we were at a we were at a uh, zone conference, I believe, in uh, I think it was Lopapoa or Lopua in Hapai, one of those little places, and. Uh, I just decided I'd never done that before, and I just decided I was going to get up and, and share that story about the pumpkin rollers. So, so legend has it in uh, when they first settled the area of Minersville, um, the soil was fertile there, and they found they could grow about anything. And so, the uh, the uh, farmers there they would grow well. They had cows and horses, and and they grew pigs. Or they would raise pigs and then they would grow pumpkins down in the fields. Well, uh, a farmer one day got up in the morning and uh, couldn't find his pig. And she was due to have babies and he looked and looked and looked and could not find his uh, his pig anywhere. So uh, he decided to go down in the fields and look and, and see if, uh, if she had gone down there. And lo and behold, he went down there. And inside one of the giant pumpkins that was growing there, this pig had gotten in there and had her little babies inside the inside this this giant pumpkin. And uh, they did everything they could to get them out, and she would not let them get these little pigs out, so he could take them back up to uh, to town. And uh, the community was perplexed as what to do, and finally they decided. This field was on the edge of a little hill that they would roll this pumpkin down the hill and see if they could get the uh, if they could get the, the pig and the piglets out of the pumpkin. So they summoned all the townspeople. They went down there and got pushing on this pumpkin. And finally, after much effort, they got it to start rolling. And it started rolling and rolled down to the bottom of the hill and hit a tree at the bottom of the hill. The hill and broke into pieces, and night movete hole. I found a keep one. All the little pigs came out, and the mama pig came out, and the farmer was able to uh, take his pigs back home and uh, get them in the same place. They're in a safe place, and so ever since then, uh, we've been known as the pumpkin rollers there in Minersville. So. <laughs> that, that's what legend has the story to be. <laughs> what I had uh, was interested also uh, as you were uh, trying to improvise, as you were trying to, you, know, you saw there were some little pigs where we where we were eating. There was uh, yeah. there were pigs out there, and so uh, I think it brings to mind what you were trying to tell uh, by way of thanking the people who prepare the food. You share these wonderful stories. Uh, yes, we we uh, we were fortunate enough to have a walk that yeah, day. And yeah. That did remind me of that. <laughs> so. I always remember. I've never forgotten. But there was one of the funniest uh, stories we have found there too. Now, finally, did you want to share that uh, story that you had written about in our book, just to come from your own? 
your own version rather than oh. you know uh there was another story that i think i'd like to yeah. share actually if right. that's okay and yeah. that one's in the book for people to read but uh um while i was in lofonga um when i when i first got there i remember i i had taken uh you know all the supplies and things i i thought i would need with me there and it was only a few days after we got there and uh of course in lofonga because of its seclusion there was only a boat that came there you know maybe once a week or depending on the ocean and how how bad it was sometimes not even that often and and i I served there with uh there was an elderly couple uh I believe it was Shione and Salote Wolfgram is yeah. that correct? Yes, yes. The Wolfgram and they were uh they were a senior couple that came there and I was I was so grateful for them as well. It was it was a blessing to have them come and be there when we were there and anyway we were sitting there getting ready to eat one night and um some little kids came running up and knocked on the door of our little our little uh party there and uh they brought one little boy in and they had his his foot kind of loosely wrapped and uh they said he had, he had he had cut his foot on a piece of glass in the ocean when they were down there playing on the beach and they heard that the balani had some band-aids so so they came up to see if we could fix it well um we got him in there and, and he didn't have shoes of course they they would just run around in their little bare feet and and uh he he had no shoes and we cleaned up uh we cleaned up the wound and it had kind of scabbed over and and I went to kind of pull it apart to see how deep it was and as soon as I did that I realized that this young man um had a serious serious problem that glass had gone way deep into his foot and uh it it had caused a, a severe laceration and uh he he obviously nowadays would have had stitches and and uh a lot of other things to take care of him but we we didn't have much um except some bandages and a little disinfectant and so we cleaned him up and i and i remember we gave him a blessing and he was probably only 8 or 9 years old and uh we gave him a blessing and uh cleaned his foot up put a little bandage around it i think we had a little gauze and told him to keep it clean and sent him on his way well he would come every day and i knew because he had no shoes and he was out in the dirt that he was going to he was going to get infection and probably have serious consequences and and have to seek you know better medical help that he couldn't get there on on Lofonga and uh and as he came every day and we would clean his little foot and try and bandage it and every day he came it was just filthy dirty you know from being out and walking around we would clean his foot and uh and after several days um we realized it, it was healing and and it wasn't it wasn't getting infection and uh you know I I had we had a discussion with with uh Elder and, and Sister Wolfgram and my companion about um how the Lord was blessing this young man because in any other situation I believe that uh someone probably would have ended up uh having to go to the hospital or, or even losing their foot or leg over that 
because of how easy it was to get infection down there. So I just remember thinking at that time how uh, how Heavenly Father he knew he knew what was going on and how he you know he knows every one of us no matter where we're at and he uh, he knows the needs of his individual children at uh, at specific times in their lives and and anyway this young man's foot healed up and he never had any complications and uh, to me that was a miracle you know that that that, that would happen there and uh, it was a it was a testimony builder for me I know and my companion as we watched this young man and. And through that, we were able to become good friends with his his family, who were non-members, and and able to spend a lot of time and, and teach them there on on Lofonga. And uh, they become some uh, they became some very great friends to us while we were there. So that was a that was a story I I wanted yeah. to share too in the book, but uh, but I chose the other one. So yeah, now you sure. have two. Well, this is great. <laughs> this is great. It's wonderful to share with our listeners. Hey. Uh, if the listeners would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way to your contact? They can call you or they can get on your Facebook or whatever else media. Would you share with them how they can get a hold of um, you? Probably the best way is through my email if they would if they want to contact me. I don't have Facebook. I probably should, but I don't yet. I'll work on that. Yeah. And uh, But my email is just uh, Steve, S-T-E-V-E, at servicedrug.net well, that's that's good enough I think that they would yeah. be happy to feel free to email me I'd love to hear from uh, I'd love to hear from anyone so alright I think that comes to the, brings us to the uh, end of our podcast you've shared with us so many wonderful stories we thank you and thank your uh, uh, equal partner for uh, all that she does to help your family. Uh, we are also very grateful to have met you and worked together with you. We learned so much from you. We'd like the listeners to uh, uh, please take time and listen to our next podcast. We are thrilled to have had Ipaki uh, uh, here today and we will be listening to more of these in the next time. Thank you again, and thank you for listening in. Goodbye now. Thank you, Ibat. Thank you, Alipaki, for being our guest on Pacific Tales. It seems that Minersville and Tonga have one thing in common, and that's a lot of little pigs running around. And we are so grateful that you were able to come and tell us your stories today. Over Atuk.